Well, how many of you have been reading the book of Acts? Good. If you haven't started, you still have a few days, but I want us to make a concerted effort to read through the book of Acts for every month through this summer season, June, July, and August. I have read through the first, I don't know, uh, nine chapters again, and I've reread them, and I've reread them, and I've reread them. And uh, I am thrilled at what the Lord is talking to me about and what he is stirring my heart toward. I am grateful tonight. I want us to be mindful, and I want it to be lodged in our mind that when the world is at its worst, the church must be at its best. And I think we agree that the world is in bad shape tonight. And that kind of world needs a church full of power. They need what we have experienced in this building tonight. They don't need a program. They don't need a performance. They don't need theatrics. They just need the touch of God. They need the hand of God. And I believe that when we seek Him, those are the things that God will bring to pass in our lives. For your consideration for just a few moments, Acts chapter 1. Begin reading with verse number 1 down through verse number 8. I told you last Wednesday that the entire book of Acts will be our text. We will not read it fully through every night, but we're going to take a few verses and let them speak to us, and that's what I've asked the Lord to do. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 1. He said, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began. Everybody say began. He began. There is no mention of an end. The story is still being written, and we're a part of it. Amen. That needs to get down in the very core of our being. The things that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of 
the earth. Everyone said amen. Verse chapter number 2, verse number 37. It says, now when they heard this, when they heard the message that Peter had just preached to them about the resurrected Christ, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Amen. I want to use those two passages to draw your attention for a few moments and talk a little bit more about the church at its best. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. When I think of the church at its best, I have to consider what that would look like. And not only what it would look like, but how would it function When I think about the church at its best, I have to wonder what its priorities are. And I have to consider its focus. Acts gives us a picture, a clear picture that we need to look at to understand those things. Last Wednesday night we began, and I will be honest with you, I feel like tonight, Service is a direct result of the last week of reading the book of Acts. And I'm so anxious for what God's going to do on Wednesday night around here. I am not trying to minimize church. I don't care if there's 10 people that show up. We are going to have a move of the Holy Ghost in this place. Amen. We talked about unity, how valuable and how priceless Unity is, and it was evident in the early church that they were uh, one and they worked together. There was a harmony and there was a consideration that was very powerful, that made them powerful. They were selfless, sacrificing, and it brought great revival. It put down man and it lifted up the Lord. I believe any time a church can do that, They're going to have to look for revival because revival is coming. When we can take ourselves off the throne and put him on the throne, something powerful is going to happen. We talked about being filled with the Holy Ghost, and I've thought about that much over the last few days. I've been around a lot of churches that have been full of something, but it wasn't the Holy Ghost. They've been full of themselves. They've been full of their program. They've been full. I, I, I've been amazed. I don't Twitter, tweet. I don't chirp. I don't do all, any of that. I don't Facebook, but I have heard and I've, I've had people share with me. And one of the most astonishing things over the last few years that has disturbed me as an older person is that some of these young ministers get more excited about a new lighting system, about some new the Holy Ghost. They get more excited about some new, uh, some kind of uh, program that they can put on the computer that elevates their church. I'm going to tell you what will elevate the church, and I'm not against any of that. 
But what really elevates the church is when you get connected to the power source. That will elevate the church. And there are a lot of things that have become, they have, they have become the focus of the church. And I want us to get our attention back on what really matters. It doesn't matter how uh, many are there. What matters is if they are of one mind and one accord. There, there were 120 in the upper room. There was only one on the road when Philip met the eunuch. But in both places, the power of the Holy Ghost fell and lives were changed. It doesn't matter how many people gather. If two or three are gathered in his name, he said, I will be in the midst of them also. So I'm not worried about all of the things that seem to be so important to man now. What I'm concerned about is the Lord here. It doesn't matter if we fill this building up with people and the Lord's not here. I'm not interested. Amen. Now, I do want this building to be full. I, I'd like for us to have to revise those plans, and that makes me nervous to think about that. But it wouldn't hurt my feelings at all that we had to do that. But I would rather have a, a, a group of people that are anxious for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost than to have ten thousands of ten thousands to come and listen to me. Amen. I'm not interested in that. I want God to be in the center. I want Him to be elevated. I want Him to be at the forefront of everything. That I want us to be full of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The church is at its best when it's hungry for more. If you read Acts chapter 2, after Peter's message, you read of some of the things that went on in the early church. They were continuing in the apostles' doctrine. There was a hunger for learning. I believe it's a dangerous thing when we get to the place as a church that we think we know all that we need to know. I'm anxious to know more about the Lord. Knowing more about the Lord is trying to understand the depth of the ocean or the height and the measurements of the universe. It's impossible. You can go to Mars, but you still hadn't gone far enough. And I've been in, I've been in this all of my life and what little bit I know about the Lord just makes me want to know more about Him. Amen. I'm not satisfied with what I know because I know there's more to know. Amen. So there's a hunger for more. So tonight I want us to go a little further. When I go back to Acts chapter one, there's something that clearly jumps out at me. And that is that the life and ministry of Jesus did not end with his ascension. But rather, it would continue, it would be continued through the life and ministry of the Spirit-filled disciples. Jesus not only left, I am also reminded of the fact that Jesus not only left us a powerful name, but he imparted a power. He put within us a power, the promise of the Father, the Holy Ghost. And with the coming of the Holy Ghost came a power, a power that would enable them to carry on the life of Jesus Christ, the ministry, the miracles. He said, the things that you see me do, greater things than these shall you do because of what's about to happen. And I am believing tonight that we're going to see 
greater things. The Holy Ghost. Everybody say the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost and the operation of the Spirit has was to become the dominant reality of the early church. As a matter of fact, if you start reading in Acts 1, when you get to Acts 13, you will find that over 40 times the Holy Ghost is mentioned in the first 13 chapters of the book of Acts. That's over three times per chapter that the Holy Ghost is referenced because the context of the church was described within the context of the Spirit of the Almighty God. And as He had promised to His disciples in John 16 and 13, this Holy Ghost would operate in their lives as a guide. He said it will guide into all truth. And it will give direction. He said it will show you things to come. I want you to look with me for just a few moments at a few things that I highlighted in, in the in the book of Acts that came as an effect or an influence or directed or orchestrated by the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 29, the Bible says that it directed Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. This is what verse 29 said. The Spirit said, go near and join thyself to his chariot. In Acts 10, 19, it is what commanded Simon Peter to break down that wall that was between him and a Gentile and receive his servants into his house and understand that God was about to expand his kingdom. And this is what the Spirit said. Go near and join, or or while Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said, Behold, three men stand at your door. Go listen to what they have to say. In chapter 11, verse 12, when he was recounting what had happened at Cornelius' house, the Bible said that the Spirit bade me, it commanded me, it urged me to go with them, nothing doubting. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 31, it was the Holy Ghost that filled them with the courage and the boldness to face the adversity and the opposition and persecution that was beginning to spring up because of the message that they preached and because of the demonstration of the Spirit in their lives. And when they had prayed, the Bible said the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 28, the Bible tells us that Agabus, a prophet of that time, saw by way of the Spirit a famine that was coming. And so by the Spirit, they were enabled to foresee things that were coming and prepare and give and send relief. In Acts 13, 2 and 4, it is what set Barnabas and Paul apart for a momentous step of taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And this is what it said. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Paul. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost went. I believe that if we could ever get back to the place that we operated under that kind of influence, many powerful things would happen. In, in Acts chapter 15 and verse 28, 
It gave them wisdom in the council at Jerusalem to know how to deal with some critical issues that were coming up in this church that had begun to grow. Gentiles and Jews were alike in the church. And by the Holy Ghost, by the leading of the Holy Ghost, the council determined what would be wise for the church as a whole. And this is what it says in verse 28 of chapter 15. What seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. When I read that again this week, the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to read that again. And I read it again. What seemed good to the Holy Ghost and us. He said, you better remember that order. It's the Holy Ghost and you, not you and the Holy Ghost. And the problem with us is we've got too much of us in front of the Holy Ghost. If we can ever get the Holy Ghost first and then us second, there's no telling what kind of revival will break out on a Wednesday night or a Sunday or any other day of the week. Amen. Remember that order, not us and the Holy Ghost but the Holy Ghost and then us. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 6, it is what directed Paul past Asia. He wanted to go to Asia. He wanted to go back and go over some areas he had already traversed. But the Bible says that the Holy Ghost forbid him to go to Asia and instead turned him toward Troas and eventually led him to Europe. What a tremendous redirecting of the Spirit of God on a man to a larger mission field. I'm here to tell you tonight that if we can ever get back to the place where God has that kind of influence over our lives and we allow our lives to be directed by Him, not by us, there's so much potential that can come out of that. There's so much revival that can break out of that kind of atmosphere. It gives me cold chills to think about it. Amen. Amen. So, number one, when the church is at its best, we are allowing the Spirit to dictate our agenda, dictate the agenda. Amen. We're letting the Holy Ghost dictate the agenda. My question to you tonight is, how effective could we be if we were more attentive to what the Spirit said than what Man says, how much more effective as a church could we be if our sensitivity was toward that other world and we were more conscious of that than we are of this world, that we're, that our ear is more in tune to his voice than any other voice or sound in the earth. How many other men like a Ethiopian eunuch, are simply waiting on somebody to be directed by the Holy Ghost. Somebody that's sensitive enough that the spirits can say, go there, go there, go there. We've gotten away from that. But I remember hearing the apostolic elders of our movement tell of the early days in our Pentecostal movement when they would be led of the they didn't even know where they were going next and the holy ghost would say stop here and they would stop there and revival would break out one man in particular i remember he was driving along the highway going to a next preaching engagement and the spirit impressed him to stop and pray 
And he, he, he said, I, I argued with God for a few minutes. And finally, the Holy Ghost said, stop right now and pray. And so he pulled over the side of the road and he went out in the, 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 the bushes beside the road. And he knelt down and he started praying and calling on the Lord. He said he called on the Lord for a good period of time. And then when he felt the burden relief, he got back in the vehicle. He thought, well, what was that all about? Drove on down the highway to his next place of revival. Revival started and one night a man came in. And when he heard the voice of the preacher, he came to him and said, you don't know who I am. But I was on the side of the road contemplating suicide. I had given up on life. And I heard your voice in prayer. And I realized that God was not through with me yet. That's what happens when people are sent. That's what happens when people are led of the Holy Ghost. It might happen in a Walmart. It might happen at Cracker Barrel. It may happen at Jason's Deli. It may happen at La Madeline's. But wherever we are, we need to be as as in tune to God as we can. So that if God's got a eunuch or somebody else there that's needing to know something about the Lord, that we've got enough sensitivity to us to be directed to that person and know how to speak a word to them in that season. Amen. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. Praise God. How many more like that man are waiting on some of us to allow the Lord to speak to us? How much more effective could we be if we didn't just go, but we were sent by the Holy Ghost? I'll go back and read it to you. Acts 13, 24. Paul sent and Barnabas. The Bible said, and so being sent forth. The word sent means commission. You're not just going on hope's sake. You're going with the knowledge. I'm on a mission. I have a purpose. There's something God has for me to do. What, how much more effective could the church be if we started praying for God to send us? That we quit just going through life and we start waking up in the morning and say, God, send me. Send me to a hungry person. Send me to a lost soul. Send me to somebody that's in need. Send me to the place that you need me to be today. Let me be in the right place for that work that you want to do. Amen. What great revival would come if we spent time seeking the will of the Spirit for our endeavors rather than just planning our endeavors. Amen. The church is very short, in a very short period of time, considered in the book of Acts, it was not very long, less than a hundred years, until things began to change in the early church. And it would soon be very easy for them to slip into a habit and a ritual of ceremony and uh, repetition and routine. And they allowed the focus of the church to move from what it had begun with to man's ordinances. And the, the church was derailed and became basically ineffective. It It may have Christianized the world, but it did it at the edge of the sword. Amen. How tempting it is 
to operate in our own talents and in our own skills and with our own abilities and with our programs and with our schedule. It's easy because it doesn't take a lot of prayer to do that. You just have to be computer smart. and You can put something together. I mean, there's a thousand programs out there to help you be efficient. What we need to be is effective. And the only way I know how to be effective is to stay in tune with him and stay connected to him. And let him do the dictating. Let him do the operating. Let him do the leading. Let him be the one that orchestrates the efforts that we're putting forth. Amen. How do we prevent such a thing from happening? I believe it's very simple. We have to stay hungry for his will to be done. Amen. We've got to be hungry for his will to be done. I believe we have to weigh everything by what by that we do by this. Is God in this? Will God be pleased with this? Will God be glorified with this? Will this draw attention to me or to him? And does this further his cause? When those things become the parameters within which we begin to govern our lives, something powerful is going to happen. When the church is at its best, it is operating filled and they were of the Holy Ghost. They were spirit filled and they were spirit guided. And what an impact. They turned their world upside down. Man, that just, that, 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 uh, that stirs me. I mean, I'd love to turn Webster upside down. What are there, 35,000 people, 40, 100 and some thousand people in League City? I'd just like to turn League City upside down. They turned the world upside down. And they did it without a one iota of any of the stuff we had to promote the gospel. I'm going to tell you what I believe has happened. We've let the gifts that God's given us become the focus of what we're doing. And all the gadgets. And we've forgotten where the real power is. It's not in that electrical socket back there that keeps all this stuff generated. It's found when you, when you bow on your knee before him and you ask him, Lord, I need you to lead me today. I need you to operate. I need you to be in charge of what we're doing. I need you to be the one directing this affair. Amen. When the church is at its best, it is operating in the power of the Holy Ghost. If you're filled with it, you'll walk in it. It's not hard to do. Amen. I'm afraid too often people are praying for the power, but they are not full of the power. That's an oxymoron. That doesn't make sense. How much more effective all of us would be if we simply got back to seeking the Holy Ghost for everything we do. Number two, the church is at its best when she is being a true witness to him. He said, you shall be witnesses unto me. Witnessing implies two very simple things. First of all, it implies verbal, our words, what we say, our message. Their message was simple. It was Jesus and him crucified. Amen. It doesn't matter where you go in the book of Acts. When they started preaching, they started with him. They magnified him and they ended with him. 
Amen. He was the Alpha and the Omega of their sermons. You know, we'd get bored with that if every time we come together, all we heard was Jesus, 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 Jesus. But it didn't seem to bother them. Every time they got together, that seemed to be the hunger of all that were there. Tell me more about Jesus. Tell me more about the Lord. And so it was. There was a certain witness in their word. The the preaching was simple. Repeat, repent, be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. All of those things were evident in their preaching. So that's one aspect of a witness. There are certain things that are true of a witness. Number one, a witness is one who says what he knows, not what he's heard. A true witness is not a carrier of a story. What's wrong with church? We've got a story. You know what's wrong with church? We've got too many carriers and not enough experience. And we have a generation. I was thinking of this yesterday, Brother Tenney's funeral. One of the last connections to the merger back in the beginning of our movement, the United Pentecostal Church. One of the last voices that was there, I I, I was checking before service, I think Brother Arliss Glass may be the only remaining person that I know of that was there when that merger took place. They were passionate about our organization. They were passionate about our movement. They were passionate about our message. James Kilgore, N.A. Urshan, uh, Brother Mangan, Elder Mangan, all of those men, Brother J.T. Pugh, those men helped form and put together. And when they came together for a conference or for a service, there was a passion about the message. But what's happened, there's a generation that has risen that does not have the experience of that power They just have a word about that power and they're carrying a message, but they don't know the messenger. And I'm telling you tonight, as your pastor, we have got to get back to a personal experience with him. And if you haven't spoken in tongues, if you haven't had a renewing in the Holy Ghost, you need to get in the place where you can be renewed in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Because the Bible said we are saved by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So we don't need to be a carrier of the story. We need to have experienced. It's got to be personal knowledge. Somebody say, I don't know how to witness to somebody. Just go tell them what the Lord's done for you. Don't tell them what he's done for somebody else. I heard a young man preach not long ago. And the entire time he preached, all I heard him do was tell about stories that had happened to other ministers. What about you? What kind of stories can you tell about what the Lord's done in your life? That's what we need to get back to. God, give me a testimony. Let me have a witness to this generation. So a witness first is verbal. One other thing I might remind you of, that a witness... And a martyr are synonymous. The, the meaning, the, the, the word is the same for both of them. So this simply means that being a witness 
is a matter of loyalty no matter the cost. Number two, being a witness is not merely what we say with our words, but the second aspect of a witness is his action. If you're going to be a witness, you're not going to be a witness just by means of your mouth and by what you tell everybody else. You're going to be a witness. You're going to be a living witness. Your lie is going to be a testimony by what, to what Jesus Christ has done. We are witnesses by our deeds, by what we do, what we are engaged in, our appointments, our priorities, the arrangements of our life, the activities that we involve ourselves, our movements, our direction. All of that is a witness of who we are. Amen. To me, this aspect of witness is more powerful than your words. Because your life, if it's not consistent with your word, is not a good word. Amen. Our actions must be reflective of Him. You cannot preach or speak one thing and live another. We cannot promote the truth of Jesus Christ and who he is and yet live a life that is contradictory to what he represents. Now you want to talk about what what the church looks like in its best hour? It's when they look like him. We don't know where these men have learned this. We consider them ignorant and unlearned, but this one thing we know They've been with Jesus. Amen. We cannot preach what we do not live. Our walk must be consistent with our talk. I will tell you tonight that I believe this is one of the greatest power drains of the church. It's when we allow our life to get out of sync with what we say. Inconsistency of lifestyle has depleted the power of the church in generation after generation. I believe that if you go back and trace the history of the church, you will find that its source of power loss was the simple fact that their life quit matching their message. So if we're going to be a true witness, our words and our deeds are going to be in alignment. What we say will be what we live. What we say will be who we are. That is the church in its finest hour. And last of all, the church is at its best when her message reaches the heart. Read Acts 2 again. The message of the early church stirred an entire community of people. It was not a spectacle. It was something supernatural. Now, I'm going to tell you, I've been to a lot of services that I could just call them spectacular. That's all I could say about them. I mean, the timing, the orchestration, the movements... It was perfect. 
There was no downtime. There was no herky-jerky things. I mean, it just flowed like a machine. But all it was was a spectacle. There was no... I want our church services to be fluid. I'm not interested in that. I love all of that. I want our church services to be fluid. I want our services to flow. That's why we have a program to help keep us on track. But our main track is to make sure we get in touch with Him wherever the Lord's moving tonight. That's the direction that we want to be pointed. So the preaching of the message of the Holy Ghost in Acts 2 reached the heart of people. Acts 2.37 said, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And it caused them to cry out and say, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They didn't try to go for the head. They didn't go for the intellect. They didn't try to make it eye appealing. They didn't reach for their emotions. They reached for their heart. Amen. This is not a show. This is not a gimmick. This is not a trick. This is not a performance. This is not a place for theatrics. This is a place where God can touch the heart of a man and turn that heart toward him. They may not understand what they see, but they cannot deny what they feel. Amen. They must have something touch their heart. And when the church is at its finest, it is the most effective on the heart of man. Its message, its its entire emphasis is not to promote talent or skill or abilities or any of those other things that we are so much... uh, 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 impressed by but it is to somehow touch the heart a message that is so powerful that it cuts through all the veneer and all of the prejudices and all of the negative things that they've heard and even some of the negative things that they themselves have said i am of the opinion that some of the men who said what must we do were the same men who said these men are drunk But because a message was preached and the Spirit of God was influencing that message, by the time the message got through, the only thing they could think of was, how can I get drunk? Amen. That's what I want. That's the church at its best. It's when our efforts are not to influence the mind or just the emotions or the eyes and make it a eye appealing and all of those things. And I, I know they're all important. But it doesn't touch the heart. I've read so many books recently about church growth and what you need to do to make your church grow that I'm sick. I about throw up the last time I saw one of them. Because you start scanning through them and I'm not against that. I, I know we got to do better than that, but I go through those books, Jesus. And you get back to chapter 29 before you ever find anything about promote Jesus. 
I think we ought to start page one, promote Jesus. Make sure you're smiling when you do it. Make sure you're happy when you do it. Make sure you're joyful when you're doing it. Make sure you're doing it with all your might. But the first thing, the number one agenda, promote Jesus. Put him on top shelf. Make him the center of attraction. And when you do that, something powerful, God's going to shake the earth. He's going to shake a city. He's going to turn a community upside down. Amen. The question that I need to always be mindful of is does my message reach the heart of people? I've done this for a long, long time, and I still do it from time to time, but it's not unusual to come in here and sit down on one of these pews and ask myself this question. If I was sitting on this pew, what would I want to hear? When I start to consider that, I realize that there's a lot of stuff that we hear that's not really that important. But what is important is that Jesus saves. He still saves. He's in the mercy business. He's in the grace business. He's in the restoration business. He's in the healing business. He's in the love business. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we need. Amen. So a church at its best is when our message reaches the heart. I want that to be the case for Greater Life Church, that the message of this church is Jesus, and it's Jesus to the heart. Amen. I know there's a lot of other places that are more beautiful and I'm not, I'm not against that. I like beautiful. I want to be beautiful. I want our church to be beautiful. But I'd rather be under a brush arbor and have the power of the Holy Ghost falling than to be in any cathedral that I walked into in Europe. Breathtaking. Staggering in the wealth that was on the walls. But not one ounce of the touch of God in that place not even the mention of the name of Jesus while we were there. Amen. Praise God. The church at its best. That's what I'm hungry for. That's what I want us, that's what I think we're, we're moving. And I, I'm not criticizing, I'm not beating us down, I'm not berating us. I'm just trying to put an image before you that will make you want to climb a little higher. And say, Lord, I, I need, I want to be led of the Holy Ghost. I want to, I want to live my life being sent, commissioned. I want to be, I want to be led so that I'm in the right place at the right time. Amen. Let's stand together. Praise God.